another episode of D-Pads and Dice Rolls. This is episode seven. My name is Greg, and I am joined by Steve and Adam. Guys, good to hear from you again. I was going to say see you, but I don't see you. Nope, not currently. <laughs> not at all. Today, our feature is our top video games of all time, part two. So last week, guys, we we talked through our honor, honorable mentions. We went through 10 through six place on our lists, personal lists here, and uh, and then we talked more in depth on uh, the fifth and fourth places on our list. But today we're going to talk about our three top games of all time. We never really talked about like the criteria that we were doing to kind of come up with these lists, but it's interesting. I think that there's an, a lot of nostalgia. I'm hearing a lot of stories so far in the different games that we brought up. And uh, yeah, I, I think nostalgia is kind of the, the name of the game here. So um, I'm excited to hear the rest of this conversation full disclosure we recorded the whole thing so uh we're just gonna wrap up with our top three choices here today but before we get to that we did want to touch on our our normal segments here so first of all let's talk about what we're playing adam what are you playing these days no big news here i'm still playing through yakuza zero and working on terraforming my island on animal crossing new horizons those games are both very fun Heck yeah. Uh, what does your island currently look like? Well, I'm in the process. I've actually just finished moving all of my villagers' houses into kind of a, a neighborhood that I've set up. And I'm just making everything extremely symmetrical and kind of right-angled so it looks unnatural. Uh, something about that just really satisfies me, like creating a kind of a balance in my island now adam did you did you already build your greenhouse so that you can continue to plant crops and sell them over winter season or kind of what's the farm situation looking like yeah so that's that's not animal crossing that's that's stardew valley shoot yeah sorry sorry about that greg yeah i already finished that but hey thanks for the suggestion i just wanted to be a part of the conversation i know Maybe we can uh, all jump in on that new Harvest Moon game that recently got announced. It better be good. I I don't have high hopes, but... Yeah, me neither. Steve, are you uh, terraforming at all? Yeah, I am. I uh, did, like, my right side of my island is my whole neighborhood. I've got, like, my arbory or, like, little tree farm going on in the top right. I've got everything that's, like, public stuff, whether it be my, like, gym or the uh like the shops the tom nook center all those are in the main portion of the island with sidewalks all around them and then i've got like my flower area up in the top left and pretty much the only thing i have left is to sort of section off a zone where my rocks will only be in that area i currently have four that are now together i need the last two to sort of appear there and then I also want to designate spots for the fossils so that every day I know exactly where those holes are instead of searching everywhere for them. Wow. So yeah, those are some big projects. Are you still, is that game still taking up a lot of your time? I mean, not a lot of my time. I, I probably log in like maybe 45 minutes a day right now. The dream is to get it down to about 10 minutes a day. Well, I have a solution for you. I actually know how to make that happen. Uh, outsource and have somebody else set up my island? No, just play it 10 minutes a day. It doesn't work like that. This is Animal oh, Crossing. God. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, we could just stop, but that's not the move. 
Yeah. Well, Steve, what else are you playing outside of those 45 minutes of Animal Crossing per day? Uh, well, I ended up off of Xbox's Game Pass. I downloaded Moving Out. It started off with just like a co-op thing and moved on to just doing single player. And I have now finished the game over the past week. It was actually a blast. It really does remind me so much of how Overcooked is, except for it doesn't feel as stressful. Most of the time, I didn't feel like I was yelling at my wife while we were playing. Um, which is definitely a good thing for our marriage. The The game itself, there's about 30 levels. You're, you're moving people, like all of their stuff, and it doesn't matter if you break it or anything, as long as you get it into the moving truck in a timely manner. And people have pets that are constantly attacking you, and you have to like hit them off. Uh, some of the houses are haunted, so you got to slap some ghosts so that they don't capture you. It was fantastic. There's a lot of like puzzle-like elements to how you're going to move a sectional through an area that's like a narrow hallway that's constantly um, shooting off fire that could kill you at any moment. So you're trying to figure out like, okay, how am I going to navigate this? Uh, Which lever am I going to pull? Which button am I going to do in order to like enable this to happen? And I would definitely recommend it. Again, that sounds way too close to real life. I'm about to be moving out for real and I don't want to, I don't want to try to move my stuff through a hallway of fire. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, Greg, what are you playing? Well, uh, gentlemen, I'm kind of in a games transitional period right now because I think I mentioned this last week too. I started playing Gears Tactics. Luckily, I signed up for the one month dollar promo option for Game Pass uh, on the PC. So I essentially have gotten to play this game for a dollar, but I am sad to report that after I I was actually kind of optimistic about it at first, but uh, after playing it for a little bit, I, I just, I don't even think I could really recommend it at this point, unless you're a big gears fan. If you're a big gears fan, you might actually like it. It's kind of a change in pace to the normal game style. So it might be a fresh way to sort of dip your toe into this, this kind of game, but it's very limited. There's really only like three or four different mission types, only a couple different types of enemies. And uh, I just got really bored. It just didn't, didn't seem like there was a whole lot of a point. So uh, I am not playing that. And so I'm trying to figure out if there's anything that I'm interested in playing right now. Well, Greg, since you're looking for something new to play, I can talk about the new releases coming up this week. On May 22nd, we've got a game called Maneater coming out on PC, Xbox One, PS4, and Nintendo Switch. It's a single player action RPG, and you're actually playing the shark in this game, attacking humans, creatures, basically whatever a shark does in its daily life. But uh, there's actually a story behind this. It's a revenge story about a human who ended up killing your mother and also hurting you. And now you, your main goal is to find this human and eat him. This is kind of like the anti-hero approach to Echo the Dolphin. You guys remember that game from the 90s? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that one would be pretty fun. Same day, we've got Saints Row the Third is getting a remaster for PC, PS4, and Xbox One. It's basically the same game, except there's going to be enhanced graphics, improved lighting, reworked environments, and visual effects in all of the DLC and expansion packs that were available for the third game are all going to be included in this remaster. On May 27th, we've got a game called Ninjala, if I am pronouncing that correctly. It's coming out on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, I checked it out. It looks a lot like Splatoon, honestly, minus the whole like transforming into squid and like shooting people with like a paint gun. But it is, it's eight player action. You, you're battling each other with bats and bubble gum. 
So it's like the same kind of like zany look. Uh, it's same cartoony look through it all. It, it also offers uh, online battles just like Splatoon. So I'm interested to see if that takes off as well as Splatoon did. On the 28th, we've got Minecraft Dungeons. Greg, I know you're a big fan of Diablo. And this is basically like a four-player co-op Diablo set in the Minecraft universe. And it's going to be available on Switch, PC, PS4, and Xbox One. And I know that you've owned all of those at some point, so you'll definitely be able to play this. I can. It doesn't mean that I will. <laughs> I mean, you like Diablo, right? Yeah, but there's a there's a there's a difference between Diablo and Minecraft Dungeons. Let's be let's be frank. But will this be the game that dethrones Animal Crossing for you, Steve? Or are you going to juggle this in with Animal Crossing? Oh, no, I, I probably will just play through this once, but it's not going to be something I'm hooked on because I'm not that big of a fan of Diablo style games at all. I thought you were going to say Minecraft. Nope, I love Minecraft. You know, I would totally be down to doing some multiplayer with this game at some point in time. I, I like the Diablo style games. I keep trying to talk people into playing Torchlight 2 with me, but nobody ever will. So I don't know, maybe this will be it. You haven't asked me, Adam. Oh, okay. Do you want to you want to play Torchlight 2? <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. We we really in all honesty could be could do Minecraft Dungeons together cuz I know it's going to be on Game Pass. Uh Caleb's already pre-ordered it. So all four of us could get a thing going on. There you go. I think actually legitimately the hardest part of that happening is is syncing up our schedules. That will be the hardest part. Four grown adults with kids having the same scheduled time together to be able to like play a video game is tough to come by. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> well, if that doesn't work, we still have uh, Dungeon Defenders Awakened. If you ever played the old Dungeon Defenders, well, they're back on May 28th on PC, Nintendo Switch, PS4, and Xbox One. If you're not aware, this was an old cooperative sort of, I mean, it's a tower defense, but it's like, from what I remember, like a third-person shooter type of view. And this is, from what it seems like, it looks like it's probably going to be sort of a, kind of like a prequel. It involves time travel, so I don't know if you can consider it a prequel if people start off later on in the story and then go back in time prior to the original. I don't really know how that all works. So it's like Back to the Future 2 for Dungeon Defenders. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's a sequel, but also... Kind of a prequel, except for Back to the Future 2 still takes place later than where they went Back to the Future number one. So I don't know if that works. So it's Back to the Future 3? Yes, exactly. This is Back to the Future 3. Hey folks, this is Greg. Welcome to D-Pads and Dice Rolls, our fan cast of Back to the Future and Animal Crossing. Heck yeah. <laughs> I'll subscribe yep. to that. <laughs> I mean, that's all you really need in life. All right. Well, anyway, enough about Dungeon Defenders. Uh, the last release, also on May 28th, is going to be Polybridge 2, the sequel to the PC game where you essentially build bridges to cross them. That sounds just as exciting as American Truck Driver or whatever. <laughs> Those like truck driving games. Okay, so I'm really underselling this. It's it's better than those. It's not just like some sort of construction simulator. It's more of like a puzzle game where you need to figure out like what all, like you only have so many resources, so much money, and you have to build this bridge to get this crazy contraption across it. And you, there's like different 
requirements like, hey, spend under this amount of money and you completed this, or use only this amount of resources and you complete this little checkpoint, or just get across. Yeah, it's like it's way more of a puzzle game than it is a simulator. It it kind of sounds like the successor to like the old flash games where you would have to get a truck across a ravine. Yeah, right? exactly. And you got to like lay down the panels and try to make something that's structurally sound. Yeah. Those yeah. games are kind those games are kind of fun for an afternoon. I'm I might look into this. Yeah, I mean it's definitely worth it and this is not the type of game where by the end of it you'll know how to actually build a bridge like you will get no knowledge at all from this except for how to beat Polybridge. Worth it. Yeah. Speaking of other things that might be worth it, guys, I have some deals this week because you know your boy likes to save some money. <laughs> we'll start out with the Xbox deals. Some of the better titles include A Plague's Tale, which I have not played, but definitely got some attention. Some people seem to like this, but I don't know what to say about it. So that's great. I mean, it's basically you're living through like the Black Plague and you're controlling a child who's like sort of living through that or two children from what I remember. And there's a lot of uh, defending yourself from these like rabid rats and a lot of like managing like light control to like stay alive by staying in the light. So is this like kind of a like an action strategy kind of game? I would say it's more of like action adventure style that's like survival in there. Okay. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Uh, then we have A Way Out. I've also not played. You guys played that one? Yes. Oh my gosh. I, I feel like I'm going to talk about all of these games now. Uh, a Way Out is made by EA and it's a co-op only game. It, you have to play it with two people and it's a prison break style game. Mm-hmm. And it the way that it works is like, one per like it's a it's a dual sort of puzzle solving thing where one person is doing one thing that helps the other person get through where they need to go so you're like back and forth solving things and for example one person might be in bed like pretending to be sick and somebody else is trying to like steal some sort of device and if the person in bed sees the guards starting to go over there they might like purposely start having like a coughing fit to try to lead the guard back over to the bed so that other person is able to steal something. Hold up. This game was developed by the same people who did Brothers. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I Now I remember that I saw this game uh, when they announced it E3 like several years ago and I kind of forgot about it. So yeah, this is actually one that I would definitely want to play because Brothers was amazing and it has like kind of similar mechanics in a way it's like they took the basic concept of brothers and then like ratcheted up a few levels yeah you could almost say it's the sequel when the brothers end up doing hard time and need to escape heck yeah well we also got anthem you have anything to say about that one? Oh, let's not play that game <laughs> yeah i that's a game yeah let's we'll just skip that one because i don't think anybody is playing that one the Bioshock Collection, those games are fantastic, especially the first one. Great game, super atmospheric, first-person shooter with fun powers. It's it's awesome. Uh, South Park Bundle, which includes what? It includes the uh, Stick of Truth and the Fractured Butthole. Great. I, I'm not a South Park fan. I know you like these games, though, Steve. Yeah, the they actually play really well. Like Obviously, like you're playing through like an episode of South Park, which is already fantastic, but... 
I actually really enjoyed the gameplay itself. Yeah, I think that I've seen some some playthroughs of, of both of these games and the mechanics look awesome. They both look like really well-designed games. I just have so little interest in the South Park world. I've kind of skipped over both of those. Uh, we also have Gone Home, which is a fantastic game in the walking simulator genre, which means, Greg, you have you have something to do for this week if you're looking for a game, because we're going to keep hounding you until you play one of these walking simulators. Then I quit the podcast. Awesome. Well, we had a good run, a really good run, six episodes, seven episodes. Um, all, we have uh, Life is Strange, which is a episodic adventure game. I played a bit of that, and it's it's a great game in that genre. Uh, Never Alone, Overwatch, Red Dead Redemption 2, which is so good. Rocksmith 2014, great game if you want to learn how to play guitar or bass. Super hot, uh, very unique game. And Witcher 3 on sale. So a bunch of stuff there. Um, what else do we have here? New to PC Game Pass is Halo 2, part of the Master Chief collection. So we have new remasters of each of those games rolling out. Uh, Halo 2, I think, is the one that a lot of people have very fond memories of playing co-op with their friends. Uh, not one that I've played, but it's one that I keep thinking I'm going to play. So at some point, I'll probably dip into that. Also have Golf With Your Friends coming to Game Pass on Xbox. Uh, a bunch of PS4 deals this week. Assassin's Creed Black Flag, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Borderlands 3, Diablo 3, Inside, NBA 2K20. Gosh, a bunch of stuff. Uh, and then a couple of Humble Bundles that are still going on. If you're listening to this, there's still time to get the Humble Indie Bundle number 21, which is the 10-year anniversary. There are some really great games there. But also, on the time that we've recorded this, the Humble Bundle Bandai Namco number four just came out. And uh, if you enjoy Japanese role-playing games, there are a couple of big ones here for you. The remaster of .hack GU and also Tales of Berseria, which I believe is, as of now, the most recent Tales of game. That's one I've been wanting to check out for a while. And Katamari Damacy Reroll. Katamari is such a weird game, but also super, super fun. Uh, I for sure will be getting this bundle just to play Tales and uh, the new like PC remaster of Katamari Damacy. But that's all I have for deals this week. Greg, any industry news going on? So not a whole lot of really big things, but there were three things in particular that we thought were interesting. First of all, there was a, a Madden championship was just one without playing a quarterback or throwing a pass. So essentially the guy cheesed this like bracket tournament style and put together a team where he only won by running. He never threw a pass. I'm, I'm pretty sure he won like $65,000 doing it too. Yeah, the championship earnings were, yeah, $65,000, which is, is bonkers. I wish I could play sports games, but I just, um, I can't wrap my head around it. I just cannot figure out how to play like the video game versions of them. The controls are always kind of wonky to me, but also I just don't know the theory behind any of those things and like how to get the ball down the field. So that was an impressive feat to, to say the least. Secondly, Minecraft has passed 200 million in sales uh, and they have 126 million monthly active players, which is, well, I was going to say it's crazy, but it's not that crazy. I mean, it, it's just, it is widely considered one of the best and most persuasive games uh, of all time. So why haven't you played it, Greg? Yeah, I know, guys. 
Get off my back. Minecraft Dungeons, okay? The number two game behind that is GTA V with 120 million units. But I suppose if you sell the same game for 20 years, then eventually you'll hit 120 million units. I'm sure Skyrim was probably number three. So someday we'll get GTA VI, and uh, I'm excited for that day, but that probably won't be until the end of the 2020s at this point. There was one more thing that I found that uh, is sort of another result of the coronavirus stuff going on right now, but Gen Con is officially canceled. So Gen Con is the U.S.'s largest tabletop gaming convention. Uh, It's gone on, this is an interesting stat, it's gone on for 52 years without interruption. So this is the first time they've had to cancel it in 52 years. So that's a bummer. There's always some pretty interesting news that comes out of that. I didn't know that that happened. That's that's wild. I That's a big event that takes place in Indianapolis, Indiana, which is my home state. So shout out to Indiana and shout out to all my friends who are going to be sad because they can't go to that. All right. Well, that's the news deals and releases from this week. We're going to continue on now with our top video games of all time. Like we said before, this was pre-recorded, and all that's left is numbers three, two, and one from each of us. So we hope you enjoy. And we're on to Adam, your number three choice. Yes. This is another game from the same era as Resident Evil 4, but it's totally different. And that is Dragon Quest VIII, Journey of the Cursed King. This is a massive PlayStation 2 uh, role-playing game very traditional JRPG style where you are a hero and your goal is to free the princess from the curse. But this game is absolutely gorgeous. It's cell shaded so that it's, I think it still holds up today, uh, but at the same time is very traditional. It is a JRPG kind of JRPG where you have turn-based menu battles where you select attack and then you attack. But as you level up, you get skill points and you can kind of build your characters to be a little more customizable. You can have these kind of branching paths of subclasses where you can increase one character's ability to use a sword while your other character, you may build out his hammer skill. And so there's opportunity to make these characters kind of your own and to build characters that are way overpowered. Uh, But one of the things I really love about this game is that it is so full of personality. The side characters in this game are so unique, so memorable uh, that even today, like if someone drops into like a kind of Cockney accent, that makes me think of Yangus, who's like the first party member that you add to your team, this kind of short bruiser character that, that wields a big hammer and smashes stuff. It's it's a big quest. It's fun. It's whimsical. There are definitely some very heartfelt moments in this, kind of like uh, a fairy tale that has its darker moments, but that is always full of, of happiness and joy uh, outside of that. It's, it's such a great game from probably my favorite JRPG series. I mean, I know my number nine choice was uh, Dragon Quest XI, which is the most recent one. Um, but I still think Dragon Quest Eight holds up for sure. And I'm guessing that neither of you guys have ever played this game before or even any of the Dragon Quest games, right? None of them. I have started on your recommendation, Dragon Quest Eleven, but I started it in the upgraded graphics version. I wasn't 
it was hard for me to get hooked, but then I did switch it to the old school graphics version, which is a really cool feature of the game. And I don't know why, but it, it started to make me more interested in the game. I think it was just easier for me to wrap my head around navigating around. So you have the Switch version of Dragon Quest Eleven? I do. Yeah, yeah. And it's been interesting. Um, I haven't played it more, mostly because of time and, and priorities in gaming, but I think I'll probably go back. Uh, in general, I, I'm hoping in a future episode we can... Steve and I can quiz you on how to get into JRPGs because you are our def- are definitely our JRPG veteran. And yes. uh, I've played a few. I, I, I have really good memories of the Breath, uh, Breath of Fire series growing up. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to, we'd love to glean your wisdom on that sort of thing. All right, Greg, I see your number three coming up. I honestly have no idea what the heck this is. I don't know if it's just an anagram for something or what, or an yes. acronym. I put it down on our shared notes page because... Only people who are super cool and played this game, like friend of the show, Sean, uh, will know what this means. But it is just uh, an acronym of the game. So D-A-O-C, Dark Age of Camelot. So this was the first MMO RPG, massively multiplayer online RPG that I've ever played. Um, I played it a ton. I picked it up. My, my uncle actually played it in when I, I think it was when I was in high school is around the time when it came out. And I remember when it launched, I remember seeing it in Best Buy and I didn't really understand what it was. And my uncle had gotten into it and he showed me the game and kind of how it worked and everything. And it blew my mind. I guys, I could gush about this game, really my top three games, but this one in particular has such a special place uh, in my sort of gaming memory. Essentially what this is, is um, I've never found, especially an online game that's come anywhere close to doing what this game did. So it's typical sort of MMO type gameplay. You You create a character, you level it up. But what is mind blowing and what is, I have never seen anything come as close in a way that I enjoyed. I think Guild Wars tried to play around with this idea, but what was interesting about this game is you had three different uh, factions, essentially. You had Albion, which was essentially like Arthurian England. And then you had Midgard, which was sort of uh, Norse mythology kind of area. And then you had Hibernia, which was Celtic mythology. And all three of these had their own sort of countries. And you could level up, you could craft, you could just do player versus environment stuff if you wanted. But the game itself was really built for... PvP, player versus player. And it was, again, I've never played a game that did it as good as this game. And Sean, our friend that I mentioned, Sean and I have waxed poetical about this game so often and how we wish there was a game that did it as good as this one did. You had shared battlegrounds that spanned every 10 uh, levels. So as of level one, you could go into a battleground playing against other level one to 10 players or one to nine. Uh, and and there was one battleground in particular. Once you hit level 20, they started to just be every five levels. This one's called Fidranky from levels 20 to 24. That like, I don't know why, it was just maybe the abilities that you got, but you would just, you'd build a character and you'd park it in that one. And that was just like a really fun one. And what was, what really made this fun is there was a castle in the middle of all of these maps that the factions would try to compete to control. And there was also at the highest level a frontier area that each faction had their own frontier area, but you could venture into the other faction's frontiers and guilds could hold these castles and you could take them over. And then they also had a realm. Mind of thinking. <clears throat> they also had these powerful realm items that you could capture that were really 
close to the faction starting area. But if you could work your way that deep into the frontier area and capture those, and if you captured some of the castles, then your whole faction would get bonuses. So even to just like leveling and, and to things like that. And there was a dungeon that you could control based on how many castles your faction controlled. It was so fun. And every <clears throat> and every faction had super unique classes. It was not like a like in World of Warcraft where they basically have carbon copies between the two factions. And you could play the, the same class on either side. These were like, if you were a Shadowblade, which was sort of the stealther, you were in Midgard, which was the Norse one. And you had a very set of different set of skills than the equivalents in the other two factions. It was just mind-blowing the way that they were able to balance all of these things out. It was such a good game. Yeah, even after hearing what the acronym stood for, I honestly have never even heard of this game. Yeah, I think you must be one of the, the few people in our circle of friends that's like really gotten into any type of MMO because I have dabbled but always bounced out because I just, I can't get into a game that doesn't ever end. I totally get that. And I think for me, this game, it was the the end player versus player content. I never got into any of the player versus environment stuff. Just was not interesting to me. And I totally agree that any MMO I've ever played I'm not one to keep playing it. I mean, sometimes there'd be a completionist in me to like just hit max level, but then I'd typically be done. Uh, there was a time in college when me and my roommates all played um, so that that was fun, kind of playing it with other people in the world. But I'm not one to just kind of play a game and meet people that I won't know in real life. That's just not my style. Um, but this game was another level. It was so fun. There is a remake of sorts by a guy who was really really involved in the first one but it's been in kind of development hell for years it's called camelot unchained if it ever launches it might be really good it also might be horrible there's just no way to tell but, uh, <laughs> that was a great game for me so steve how about you what's your number three uh yeah my number three is super mario world which they had the snes version of it which is how i actually used to play it when i was younger but once i got my game boy advance sp they released, um, they re-released the game under the title Super Mario Advance 2, which was bundled with uh, the original Mario Bros. And I mean, there's just so much to say about this game, honestly. It, if you go back and play this game now, even if you're playing it on the Super Nintendo, if you're playing it on whatever the Switch's virtual console SNES thing is called, um, if you have Game Boy Advance still, like it still holds up after all this time. I, I mean, I feel like you can say that with a lot of Nintendo games, the way that they did their graphics, um, they still look great now. They don't look aged or they didn't take any crazy chances trying to push the architecture of, of the console at all. They, they made something that just stylistically looks great and it's just, it still is good. Um, just the cartoony feel for it. All the different worlds that they had, each one was different themes. So you had like underground areas, you had like the foresty areas, you had the cloud above the air, like platformy fall and die type of levels. I don't, I don't even know what those ones that's are called. That's the official designation of those. Yeah. Yeah. If you read the manual, that's exactly what it is. Uh, they never figured out a better name for it, but yeah, like I've played a lot of 2D platformers uh, throughout my entire life. Platformers are, I mean, within my top three type of genres. Um, and this one just always beats out 
all of the other ones. Uh, and I don't know how, I'm pretty sure it came out in like 1990. And so like 30 years later, it, it still holds up so well. And like, I just haven't found anything that can compete with it. Now, if you do the uh, Game Boy Advance version over the Super Nintendo version, one of the things I liked is they updated a few items. Um, you could actually max out at 999 lives instead of the original 99. So if you, I don't know, decide to let somebody play on your file, like you don't have to worry about ever hitting the game over screen because there's no way somebody's going to die a thousand times. Um, and they also added, uh, throughout the game, there's like a couple of spots where they added blocks that helped a little bit with jumps, um, or just kind of quality of life updates so that you could sort of have a smoother experience. So I like that despite the fact that they had already created basically the perfect game, they were able to find little ways to improve the experience even more. Yeah. I'm not much of a platformer player unlike you, Steve, but I, I think it's fair to call this game a masterpiece. I think it is as close to perfect as a video game can be. Perhaps the platonic ideal of what a platformer game could and should be like. Yeah, I mean, there's no no question about it. This game is a classic. Uh, it didn't make it on even my top 10, but I, that maybe is even an oversight. I, I, I think this game and Super Mario Brothers 3, and they, they just they kill it. I mean, I think these games are amazing. Heck yeah. Well, I agree with you guys. <laughs> so onto my number two, we've already talked about it a lot, but it's Stardew Valley. I'll, I'll mostly focus on just why I really like this game and why it made it so high on here. Um, I've already put close to 200 hours into the game. I have all the achievements on Steam. Um, but the thing that I like so much that I just keep coming back to is this is one guy's passion project that he worked on for like four years and didn't give up on it no matter what people were telling him that like he was wasting his time, anything like that. And even if it didn't come out uh, to be like the massive success that it was, and even if he didn't make the millions of dollars, he stuck through and just created uh, like the best possible game that he could with the resources that he had at the time. And the just the overall uh the story behind the game just the fact that somebody is giving up on their corporate life to sort of live a more simple life in a smaller community that honestly is just like the dream to me yeah like, you've done that like five to... times now right <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i just keep coming back to it because that's all i want to do really yeah um it, it honestly reminds me of my time that like i've spent whenever i go over to china i've been there a few times but despite the fact that it's the largest nation in our uh in on earth there's always like just such a great sense of community where there's people that are running shops and they're outside playing cards together and everything and a lot of people just seem to know each other everywhere and that's what i want to live in like i want to live in a place where i feel like i can get to know everyone around me and I feel like I'm in a community and even if I don't get along with everybody, like I'm still building these relationships. And I mean, living in one of the biggest cities in America, like I just don't feel that all the time. Like I, I just feel like I don't know anyone because we have 7 million people here. Well, we have talked about starting a commune and just having like our friends all live in the same apartment building. Yeah which I still am 100% down for as long as it's 
a commune that doesn't end in, you know, like some sort of cult-like thing. Yeah, well, no, yeah, we'll leave out the uh, ritual suicide part. Dang, we're uh, we're not shying away from the real issues in this one, are we? <laughs> not at all. This is uh, top games are top games for a reason. Top games, hot takes. Yeah, I agree with you, Steve. Uh, this is a fantastic game. I love this, and uh, I think they really somehow he made a better version of Harvest Moon. And I didn't think that was going to be possible growing up with that game, but I loved this game. It was, it's really, really well done. Well, now that I got real with uh, my number two, uh, what's your number two, Greg? My number two is one that, surprisingly, Adam, it's not a JRPG that Adam can get into, but it is Super Mario RPG. Uh, this is one, I, I'd have to really like spend a lot of time in getting into this, but it's one of the most nostalgic games uh, closely I would say this one and my number one pick are my most nostalgic games. And I don't, I can't even describe all the details as to why and the places in life that I was playing these games. But for me, Super Mario RPG, the music, the feel, the story, the, the way that you could recruit different characters and play different characters. But I knew almost all of those characters with the exception of Mallow and Geno, which have never shown up in any other Nintendo franchise since that game. Um, I just loved it. And I even loved that this game, it was super lighthearted. It didn't take itself seriously. Uh, it, it played off of some pop culture. It had some pop culture references in it. Like they had a, um, essentially a take, their take on the Power Rangers, but they were bad guys. And the boss battles took a lot of thinking for me to sort of to, to overcome. Um, I just, I loved this game. It was a, a pretty defining moment in the history of, of games that I've played throughout my life. And I have gone back to it a couple of times since and replayed through it. And, and I, I love it. I think it's, it's a fantastic game. Yeah. I'm just, I can't, I cannot get into this game. I, I tried. I really did. I think the difference, and this may be just a difference between you and me is when I play Japanese role-playing games, especially of the 16 bit vintage, I, I like the, more kind of serious tone. I don't know something about the world that the game takes place in. It's, it's fun, but I don't know. It didn't, it didn't stick with me. It didn't resonate with me. So I ended up bouncing off of it. Did you try changing the language to Japanese? Cause you probably would have liked it more. I think. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about that. It, it's definitely an easy game to recommend, but for some reason it just didn't work for me. Didn't do anything for me. I do think that's probably where we differ. Cause I would, lean more towards the fun lighthearted games as opposed to the more emo games uh so that's probably where the difference is yeah craig so i haven't tried this one um but i did play like uh mario and luigi superstar saga and like whatever the bowser's tale one was yeah. are those similar to this with the rpg like turn-based sort of things i would say no um I know that people really, really love some of those uh, Paper Mario games and, and some of the other ones, the ones that you mentioned as well. I, I think this one is its own beast. I can't quite put my finger on why, and I haven't, to be fair, I haven't played through all of those games. I did play through Paper Mario somewhat, but I think what really sells this game for me is the story building that they do with the characters that you play with. And the story does take some twists and turns, but there's a lot of familiar feelings to this game in, in the Mario world and a lot of 
characters, but they're all big name characters. Whereas in some of those those uh, follow up games, you know, you can get some of the minor characters to join your party, and you're not really committed to them or anything like that. This one is like major characters uh, that are involved in your party, and and there's stories for all of them that are I think really good. Yeah, it does sound pretty epic. Um, I can't remember if you mentioned this at all, but have they re-released this at all? Or is it still just on like the SNES or whatever? It is on the mini SNES. And I can't remember if it's on the whatever the Switch equivalent of the Nintendo arcade kind of thing is that they have on there. I don't remember if it's on there or not. I think it is, but I don't know for sure. But it certainly is on the mini SNES. Uh, but otherwise, I don't think that they've really re-released it a lot. There was some weirdness with um, because they partnered with Square Enix, and so there was some weirdness on their ability to to basically to re-release the game for a while. And I think they got over that. But I don't know. Like that's from what I understand. That's part of why Gino, one of like the big characters in the game, has never been seen in any other games before. But yeah, if you can, I would definitely recommend checking it out. It's a great game. Got it. Yeah, I'll definitely look into it. Adam, how about you? Number two. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna call an audible and and actually swap my number two and number one. Oh my! Because gosh. it's because it's my list. My number two is Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain, which is basically the last Metal Gear Solid game developed by uh, Hideo Kojima and his team before he like had a very unceremonious departure from Konami. The main thing that I like about this game is the play mechanics. It's the sort of game that you can play in bite-sized chunks where everything's divided into missions that you can try to replay and get a high score on if you're like in that headspace. Or if you want to uh, push forward in the story, you can do that. But one of the things that I think sets this game apart from earlier games in the franchise because, you know, Metal Gear Solid 3 is an amazing game, possibly the best game in the franchise. But the reason I keep coming back to this one is because it has these other systems built into it that enhance the gameplay. So one of the things that you do in Metal Gear Solid 5 is you build this uh, base out in international waters where you can't be hassled by by the world governments and you make a nation of soldiers and as you recruit soldiers while you're out on your missions like you can assign them to different tasks and build up your medical base your your uh, weapons research you can build up scout teams that will give you intel for when you go into your missions it's the type of game that fits whatever type of play i want at any given time and even in the missions themselves you can approach them multiple different ways you can you know take heavy weapons in and and blaze in and just blow everything up or you can take non-lethal weapons in with you you can sneak around you can knock people out you can be totally stealthy and and it's a lot of fun to play the game both ways and play levels over and over again. And then on top of that, the story of Metal Gear Solid ends with Metal Gear Solid 5. And it's it's absurd in the way that any Metal Gear Solid game is and elevates the story kind of in, in new ways 
that are just as absurd as anything else that, Hoka, that Hideo Kojima has done. I just think it's a, a lot of fun. And it's the kind of game that I can see myself coming back to year after year in the same way that I come back to Resident Evil 4. So like if you're looking at my list, it's, it's almost like there are two categories of games. You have ones that are like deeply nostalgic, that have stories that I want to to hear, want to play through. And then these games that are more mechanics driven that I come back to when I when I just want to have fun, when I just want to shoot stuff. I don't know if I'm misremembering this, but was there more than one Metal Gear Solid 5? Because I feel like I remember seeing on like the digital store more than one like different titles or something yeah so there was a prologue to metal gear solid 5 called ground zeros which was a 20 dollar prologue basically and kind of a short game basically it's one level whereas metal gear solid 5 the phantom pains is is dozens of levels Uh, but it does set the stage for the story it kind of sets up the events that would lead to big boss building this nation or perhaps rebuilding this nation of soldiers. It's, it's crazy. I mean, it's your bog standard Kojima wackiness, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Have you guys played any of the metal gear games ever? I never have. I played, uh, I played a lot of number four cause it came with my uh, PS3. It was like one of the bundled consoles. I, I want to say I probably got through maybe like a third of the game. And then I watched one of my buddies play through it all. And the thing I remember is like that final cutscene. I, I'm probably like exaggerating this, but I feel like that final cutscene was like 30 minutes long or something. Oh, I think you might be underestimating it. Yeah. Metal Gear Solid 4 for sure had like movie length cutscenes in it. And a lot of people consider that a low point in the series, but it's very different sort of game. Yeah, it's something I definitely want to go back through and actually play through the games. Um, I don't know. It's I wish I would have gotten into it in the beginning, like on PlayStation One when the first Metal Gear came out. Um, I just, for the most part, missed it. Aside from number four. Yeah. Well, Adam, do you want to bring us home with your number one pick? Okay, my number one favorite game of all time has to be Chrono Trigger a classic Super Nintendo RPG with an amazing soundtrack, fantastic gameplay, and the kind of story that is so memorable that even now I think about it. Even now I want to go back and and play Chrono Trigger over again. Much like uh, Super Mario World is what I would consider like the platonic ideal of of platforming perfection i think chrono trigger is a perfect game or as close to perfect as a game can be it's almost hard to to talk about it because of the fact that it's so good it is you know i'm at a loss for words so chrono trigger is a game that takes place across multiple time periods and you go on this adventure with a group of plucky young heroes to try to prevent the world from being destroyed by a planet-eating monster, which is totally believable, right? I think that happens all the time. Isn't that what we're going through right now? More or less, yeah. One of the things I love about this game is the characters. Uh, Chrono, who's the main character, is is your classic silent protagonist, but he's surrounded by characters who, who make up for his lack of talking with 
big personalities. You have Marla, the overbearing princess, and Luca, the nerdy tech girl, and a robot that she rescues from the far future, uh, a talking frog who is a like a sword-wielding prince who got cursed. It's just, it's so good. And all the settings are unique and varied. And as you play through the game and bounce around to these different time periods, you see how the world has changed and you can begin to have an effect on the way that the world is changed. And at the time, the idea of of branching story paths was was really new and, and you know this this isn't a, a story that you can change fundamentally but there are little bits and pieces of things that you can discover as you play the game and and really discover every corner of the world throughout these six or seven different time periods i also really like the fact that you can play the game over again and uh, without spoiling it too much, because of the fact that it's a time-traveling game, you can decide to fight the final boss really at any point in the game. It's just you're never strong enough till the end unless you do a new game plus, and then you can start the game being strong enough to beat the boss and, and see how your choices change the outcome of the world. It's it's uh, It's exciting. It's kind of whimsical. It's fun it's got great music i mean everything about this game is just so good greg you've played this game haven't you i have it's definitely a classic if i was going to make a list of the top games of all time not like my top games this would for sure be it probably would be in my top three but certainly in the top five that i would submit steve you've never played this have you no i haven't but it i mean it blows my mind that the snes had so many masterpieces on it I think it's probably one of my favorite systems of all time. It's certainly my most nostalgic. Yeah, we'll have to do a definitive ranking of all the best consoles of all time. That, yeah, I agree. That's a good, yeah, someone write, should write that down. That's a good idea. Greg, what's your number one? My number one game is a little game that was on a system called the Sega Dreamcast. It's called Skies of Arcadia. I love this game. Uh, this is another, I'd say my top three games. I could gush for a long time about each one of them, but... The main gist of this game is it's sort of, it's almost like a steampunk, but like a bright vision because steampunk is usually dark and dreary. Uh, This is like a, maybe a brighter version of a steampunk where everybody lives in these floating islands in the sky and they have airships that float and sail through the sky and you play as Vice and essentially he's kind of like a Robin Hood type character. He's part of the uh, the Blue Rogues, which is their, their air pirates, but they basically try to rob from the rich to give to the poor kind of thing. And throughout this narrative, you discover this huge world where there are six different nations and they all have their own element that they essentially oversee and their own uh, Giga, which is basically a gigantic robot that is ancient and has not been awoken. None of them have been used in, in millennia, but they were they used to be used to defend their nation. And there's uh, one of the nations is the Valuan uh, Armada, and they're trying to basically take over the world. And so you're on a quest to recruit all these different people all around the world to your cause and fight back against this, the uh, the nation of Valua. And what I love about this game is, again, the stories, the characters are really rich. And I really like the customization options and the RPG elements to the game. 
specifically towards the end of the game, not really a spoiler, because honestly, I don't know that many people would go back and try to play this game, but you get a ship and there's a lot of customization, upgrade options, and you can go back and recruit people that you've met throughout the game. And so it's really cool to be able to go back and to access areas as you upgrade the ship that you weren't able to access. There's a lot of side things to do, like finding different hidden areas of the map and and I just I loved this game. I spent a lot of time playing it and I've gone back a couple times since I originally played it. It's actually celebrating 20 years this year. It came out in the year 2000. And so I've gone back a few times since then and replayed it and I, I love it. Uh this is a game that that uh it reminds me of a simpler time. Uh, so have either either of you guys I think Adam you said you tried to play it and you hated this one too, right? Well, I didn't I didn't hate it. It's just I kind of bounced off of it. I th- it wasn't emo enough for you. Well, I think this is a game that really needs a modern remaster. Maybe not a full totally. remake, yeah. but it needs to be available on on modern consoles. To be honest, really the the only way that you can play this game now easily is to try to buy a rather expensive copy of the GameCube remake. Mm-hmm. And if you still have a Wii, I think you can play it on there. But other than that, there's no way to play it. And, you know, I, I dabbled with the emulation of this game and it it's just not the same as like an official release. I just, yeah, this game needs to come out again because I think a lot of people really have fond memories of Sky of Arcadia. But then there's like a whole group of people like me who would have loved this game had we had a Dreamcast, but no, nobody did. And that's why Sega stopped making consoles. And uh, and this game was kind of lost to time. Yeah, it's a great game. I hope they make a remake, but I don't know if it helps. I think it has something to do with getting caught up in, in Sega. And uh, it doesn't sound like that's on the horizon anywhere, but it's a phenomenal Maybe. game. Yeah, Sega's been a lot better about putting stuff out on PC recently. So, and and that's really where these old niche RPGs are finding success is getting re-released on Steam. That would be amazing. I would love that. Steve, bring us home. All right. Well, my number one game is also the number one game of all time in regards to sales. Uh, it's Minecraft. It uh, so the history of me playing Minecraft in 2011. I got married and one of my buddies, uh, one of my best friends, Caleb, he convinced me to purchase a computer. It was my first desktop computer I had ever owned, um, aside from like our family computer, but that doesn't count at, at all. But so we set it all up and he's like, oh, like one of the first games you should try out. He's like, I've been watching people talk about this game called Minecraft and he showed me some video about it. I didn't totally understand it, but I really wanted to get a game on my new computer. And so I agreed to purchase it. And at that time, it was like right before Minecraft went into sort of a beta notch, like he had his website set up and you would have to just send him via PayPal, uh, like 1995, I think it was back then. And I was like, man, I don't know. This is sketchy. I'm like sending some Swedish dude money, like through my PayPal, like I'm definitely either going to get virused or he's just going to like hack my account and steal all my money. But I ended up going through with it. And that first year, I mean, I don't even have a realistic guess as to how many hours I put into it, but I definitely put hundreds of hours just that first year into Minecraft. We ended up starting our own server. 
where we had other people from around the world playing and I would set up these mini games and puzzles and parkour maps and I just had a blast with the community. We would jump around to different servers and try out other people's servers. We got really invested in this one, uh, I think it was called Woodycraft. And this guy was like a famous streamer who started his own uh, server. And he had like a Hunger Games style survival game, which eventually evolved into Battle Royale style games like Fortnite and PUBG. But just overall, like Minecraft, it's, it's a game that you can make anything out of. There's an amazing modding community who who make amazing games within Minecraft. So like you have the normal blocky sandbox game and all of a sudden you have a modded game that has like you're learning about industrialization and like how steam engines work and you figure out solar panels or you have somebody else who mods it and they create like this twilight forest that you like I can't remember. I think you throw some sort of crazy flower into any pond and you can like teleport into this forest where there's all these like mythical beasts like the Minotaur and it, I don't know, the the game is like an engine almost itself and you can create whatever you want within it. And Notch from the very beginning, Notch is the developer, he just wanted to make like an open game um, where anyone could influence it. And so because of that, with that sort of openness, including like the openness to film anything in game and upload it onto YouTube, it just enabled this to become such like a huge game that eventually Microsoft had to buy out because it was such a moneymaker. But yeah, between not just the nostalgia, but just the idea of just an open game where you can do whatever you want within it makes it the number one game for me. Yeah, I think that captures it. Minecraft is is fantastic. I mean, I think it's I think it's a game that defines a generation of gamers and really has affected the way that games are are designed and and played really in a very fundamental way. Great game. A great choice. Heck yeah, thanks man. And uh forget you Greg for never even trying this game. Sunday. <laughs> yes. Uh I heard Sunday, so I'm going to keep you to those words maybe check in with me again next week (laughs) yeah will do well those were our uh basically top 10 games but in-depth top five video games of all time for each of us it was a longer episode than normal but i feel like we needed that in order to actually uh give justice to these games if you like this episode like and subscribe specifically if you liked hearing some of our top games let us know and Maybe we'll do a more in-depth look into other types of games, whether they be board games or even in-depth into different like genres and like our top survival horror games or anything like that. Um, just let us know. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.